Every couple of months, we like to have a different voice in the pulpit. And we do that for a few reasons. I want to make sure that you don't ever think that's because Pastor Ben and Pastor Clayton just like to take Sundays off every now and then and not preach. That's not the case at all. What I, the reason for it is that I believe that we are enriched as the Holy Spirit speaks through different voices to us. There will be some who connect um, really well with my preaching. There will be some who connect better with Pastor Ben's, and there will be others who connect in different ways to different preachers. And every time the Holy Spirit comes from a different person, we get a different perspective, uh, a different flavor, a different way of looking at our life in the faith. And so it is our, uh, we're blessed today to hear from John Norlin, who will be coming up in a little bit to give the message today. Please stand for the reading of Scripture. From Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and, into, and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin, as far as Rahab, toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. 
And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You may be seated. So since I have the microphone, and uh, Pastor Ben said to, to be sure to uh, express pastor appreciation to Pastor Clayton, I'll say to Pastor Clayton and Pastor Ben both, uh, we appreciate you, and so we'll give them a little bit of applause this morning. All right, let's pray. Father God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight this morning. Amen. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about God's promises. I actually want to start with a story. I have a fear of driving over bridges, like this, the old McCluggage Bridge. I learned this over 30 years ago when I was learning to drive and found out I tensed up going over bridges, uh, especially high, narrow bridges with the open sides where you can see the water below. Um, I was so glad when they built the new span and they put solid sides so you can't see the water as well. Um, so I traced the source of my fear to a story my, my mother had told me when she and my father were in, a, were in a car accident before I was born, and they actually ran through a railing and were teetering on the edge of a bridge. And so, of course, that set fear of, fear of that into my mind. So I've been able to overcome this fear by understanding how bridges are designed. I've, I have an engineering degree. I have graduate-level courses in structural stability. Um, I understand how they're designed. Of course, I also avoid high, narrow bridges when I can. <laughs> But I do have to drive across the McCulloch every day to go to work. So I've learned to trust in the promise of a well-engineered bridge, a bridge that's been standing since 1948, a bridge that the design goes back to the 1840s. Uh, it's been used all over Europe, all over India, all over the United States, and it's a, a good design. And 40,000 cars a day go across this bridge and the Illinois River safely. So I act on my faith every day, 10 times a week in my daily commute. So my point here is if we can trust the promise of a well-engineered bridge, how much more can we trust the promise of a God who engineered the entire universe? And so that leads us into today's single-sentence sermon summary. God's promises are an opportunity for us to put our faith into action. And to make it easy to remember, I have three L points I'm going to talk about today relative to that. First, listen, then look, and then live. The first point being listen to what God has promised. The second being to look through the lens of faith and not fear. And the third being to live as if God will fulfill his promises. So let's look at our text today. In verse 2, God has a promise. He says, the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Clayton talked about the promises given to Abraham, the promise of many descendants, which has been fulfilled, the promise of a, a promised land in Canaan, and a promise of a blessing, which we know is Jesus. And we're focusing on the promise of the land here. And this is not a new promise. It was promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob in Genesis chapter 12 and 13 and 15 and 17 and 26 and 28 and maybe other places as well. God made this promise to Abraham over and over and over again. 
and that was about five centuries before our current story in Numbers. So let's, let's think for a moment about promises in the Bible. These are, when we're reading our Bible, we come across statements where God says something will happen, or something will be given to someone, or God will do something. And there's generally three categories of promises that you come across. The first are promises that are specific to a specific person or group of people and not for all of us in general. So for example, if I read in Luke 131, Gabriel told Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Clearly that applies to Mary and not to me. <laughs> I don't have a womb, right? <laughs> Some promises are clearly applicable to a wide audience. For example, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. So if you believe in Jesus, this promise is for you. It's widely applicable. The third kind of promise is a little bit more difficult. This is where you know, the Bible verse means one thing in its original context, but through the Holy Spirit speaking into your life to apply it in a different way to you. Now, this can be an awesome way to hear God's voice speaking to you through his word, but it also can be a bit dangerous. Uh, so, for example, let's say I was standing on the roof of a tall building, <laughs> which I'd be totally fine with. I'm afraid of bridges, not heights, right? And I were to read Psalm 91, and it says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, I might think to myself, hmm, maybe I should jump off this roof and maybe God will catch me because he's promised to. Or maybe I'd say, what would Jesus do? <laughs> well, Jesus was tempted in exactly this way. And he quoted Deuteronomy 6, do not test the Lord your God, which coincidentally is talking about the testing in the Sinai desert for 40 years, which the 40 days of Jesus' testing and the 40 years of testing in the desert have a lot of parallels, but that's a whole other sermon. We're not covering that this morning. So now, it seems like this is a silly example, right? But sometimes it's actually a little bit more subtle. So let's look at another example. Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you have been comforted by this verse? It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, many of us have read those words, and we find a promise from God for our prosperity. And this isn't necessarily a wrong way to read this scripture, but you do need to be discerning. Do these words apply to you? What is God saying to you when you read this verse? Because if you misread a verse and misapply it, then you might put your hope into a false promise, something that isn't what God is promising you. Now, through the same prophet, God earlier told these same people when they were in Jerusalem, I have determined to do this city harm and not good. It will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will destroy it with fire. So now both promises are from the same God, through the same prophet, to the same people. So why should we apply one to our life and not the other? So does he have a plan to prosper you and not to harm, or does he have a plan to harm and destroy? Maybe. Maybe he wants to bless you with prosperity, and through his generosity to you, you can bless other people through your generosity. Or maybe he wants you to lose everything like Job, so you can be an example of faithfulness in hard times. You know, maybe he'll put you in jail like Joseph or throw you in a lion's den like Daniel or throw you in a cistern like Jeremiah or put you in prison like Paul or put you on a cross like Christ. So God spoke this promise to prosper through the prophet Jeremiah to all those 
that God carried in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was a specific promise to a specific group of people in a specific time to give them hope in a specific situation. They were going to spend 70 years in captivity in exile in Babylon. This promise probably is not meant to be a general promise for all times and all places. If you read the book of Jeremiah, he also warns us about false prophets who put words in God's mouth, and we certainly don't want to be guilty of doing that. So, again, my first point here is to be, be, first be sure to clearly understand what it is that God's actually promising before you put your hope into that promise. This is why it's so important to spend time in the Word of God so you understand not just individual verses, but whole chapters and sections and understand what it is God's really saying, what's the context in which those verses appear. I also advise that you seek the wisdom of other mature believers who also have the Holy Spirit and can also interpret and discern what the verse is saying to you. Now, with that said about the nature of God's promises, let's go back and take a specific look at this promise, uh, another look at this specific promise to Abraham. So back in Genesis, one of those mentions of this, this promise, it says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. Or sorry, north and south and east. And, anyway, you know the directions better than I do. <laughs> I'm backwards because I'm in the pulpit, right? All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. So go and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went so Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So this promise included many offspring, which is already fulfilled, and the entire land of Canaan. Now, while God was granting Abram the entire land of Canaan, it says he moved and chose to live at Hebron. So now that we've clearly understood what this promise is, the second point is to look through the lens of faith and not fear at this promise. So we get to the action part of this where the spies go up into the land. They're told to go and take a look, go through the Negev desert, up into the hill country towards Hebron, and see what the land is like. Now Hebron's an important place for the Israelites. It's at the peak of the Judean hill country. It's about 500 feet higher than Jerusalem, and almost a mile above the Dead Sea, you can see quite a bit of land when you're up there at Hebron. It's as close to a hometown as the Israelites had. Not only were they called Hebrews because of Hebron, it's where Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. It's where Isaac and Jacob lived. It's the only place we know of where Abraham owned land. He bought a burial plot, the cave of Machpelah. And Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah are all buried there. And it's now called the Cave of Patriarchs, if you go there today. Later, David would make it his first capital. He was crowned king there and before he moved his capital to Jerusalem. So this, was, this city is the, the crown jewel of the promised land that the Israelites are heading towards. This is home. And we're told it's the first season for ripe grapes. So it's probably late summer or early fall, and it's just over a year after leading, leaving Egypt. If you follow the timeline, the first Passover was the leaving of Egypt, a year later, in Numbers chapter 9, they celebrate the first Passover feast one year later, and then this is a couple months later, uh, Exodus, or sorry, uh, Numbers chapter 10, they set out, from, set out for the promised land, we're in Numbers 13, so it's you know, a year and a half or a year and a few months later. So the spies went up to Hebron, and they reached the valley just north of Hebron, called Eshkol, and returned with a huge cluster of grapes. And they call that valley Eshkol because Eshkol means cluster, although 
for the Bible nerds in the audience, Eshkol is also the name of Mamre's brother, you know, the, the friends of Abraham who lived at Hebron, so there's kind of an interesting connection there. So what was it the spies saw? They went up, they took a look, they saw fruit, they saw milk and honey, they saw powerful people, they saw three giants, and they saw fortified cities. And then Caleb and Joshua saw, and they reacted in faith. And 10 other guys whose names we don't remember. <laughs> Seriously, do, do any of you remember the names of the other 10? Without cheating, looking back in the, in the verse, does anyone remember the other 10? Or five of them? One? No. Yeah, we, we don't remember them, right? Because they didn't have faith. So those that reacted in faith um, were, were Caleb and Joshua. So when, when God makes a promise and we have faith in that promise, it should affect the way that we see the world around us. Um, you know, we know the way our, our brains and our eyes work. We see the same facts and we don't always interpret them the same way. Um, the, object, the objective facts remain the same. We look at them through a different lens based on our faith or our fear, just like glasses or sunglasses filter the light coming into our eyes. And so there's the lens of faith where they're seeing primarily the, the milk and the honey and the grapes and the pomegranates and, and all the good stuff, or the lens of fear where they're seeing giants and fortified cities and obstacles in their way. Now, Caleb and Joshua reacted in faith. They said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. That's what faith looks like. So the reaction of the other spies, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than us. They're stronger than we are. If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking this plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should just choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So Caleb and Joshua, again, used the lens of faith to focus on the goodness of the promised land and the power of God to help them achieve what he had promised. The other spies used the lens of fear to see the obstacles in their way and to discount the power of God to overcome them. So the key point here is that if we truly believe that God has promised something, then nothing in all of creation will stand in the way of his fulfillment of that promise. And we need to interpret the world around us in that light. That's an important point, so I'll say it again. The key point is if we truly believe that God is going to fulfill his promise, then nothing in all of creation is going to stand in the way of him fulfilling that promise. And that brings us to our third point. We have to live our life as if God will fulfill his promise. Now, I think many of you know the rest of the story. In the next chapter, because of their unwillingness to obey God and enter the promised land, every adult of that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, dies in the desert. Hebrews says, And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, there are consequences for not trusting in God's promises. His promise was going to be fulfilled. His people would reach the promised land. But those who didn't put their faith into action, didn't see it in their lifetimes. 
Now, God will fulfill his promises in his timing. It just sometimes takes longer than we think it should. Remember in 2 Peter, it says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. So it's in his timing. And most of us also know what happened to Joshua. Joshua became Moses' successor. Uh, the sixth book of the Bible is named after him. It tells the story of how he led the people into the promised land. He became the, the leader of the people. But what about Caleb? So if you, if you flip forward in your Bible to Joshua chapters 14 and 15, it has the rest of the story for Caleb. And I'm not going to, to read all of it because it's fairly long, but I'll summarize it here. Uh, Caleb was 85 years old, and he came to Joshua and he said, remember when you and I were 40 years old? And we went in, and we spied out the land, and we saw those giants. I'm 85 years old. I'm ready to fight giants now. <laughs> Give me the land that you promised. And he said, God promised me the land my feet walked on. I can take the giants. I can take the land. And so Caleb uh, was given the land by Joshua. And it says here, from, from Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. You know, I, th I think... Gosh, when I'm 85 years old, I hope I have that much gumption. <laughs> Gumption's a good uh, word for that age, right? Enough gumption to go take on three giants and do what God promised. Yeah. So Caleb trusted in God's promise, and he put his faith into action, and he saw the promise fulfilled. So what has God promised to you? And we talked earlier about the three categories of promises, and those category two promises, things that are widely applicable, those are things we, we know God has promised us. So here's a few of those. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a good promise. How about John 8.36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We're no longer in bondage to sin. We're no longer a slave to the sin that's been forgiven. Or how about this one, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Yeah. Good one for worry and anxiety. Or John 15, 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the fruit that we're going to bear in our Christian life, and our Christian walk, is promised to us. So these are all God's promises that apply to all of us. And of course, there's many more besides in the Bible. So my challenge to you today is, will you listen to God's promise, clearly understand it, trust him to fulfill his promises in his own timing, and look through the lens of faith and see his promises as an opportunity for you to put your faith into action. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you are not a man that you should lie like we do. That when you say something, when you promise something, you will deliver it in your timing. Father, give us faith to see your promises and to act on them with faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.